This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people won't respond and that's totally okay. But like, I rather reach out to 50 people and get five responses than reach out to two people and get no responses. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? This is Jonathan Farber, host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. This show is all about achieving financial freedom as fast as possible so you can do whatever makes you happy in life. For me, that vehicle was real estate, and it's how I achieved financial freedom at 27. If you want to know how I got started, my journey is presented in a YouTube video posted in the show notes, and I post daily in our private Facebook group about my favorite topics and day-to-day strategies. I appreciate you guys being here, and let's get started. Oh, by the way, reach out if you ever need help. I try to keep my calendar open to talk to anyone that needs it or has any quick questions. See you guys. Talk to you later. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Susie Sevier and Michael Barnhart. One of the most interesting interviews I think we've had on the show for a couple of reasons. One, they are in England and they are investing in the United States. So they're out of country investing. And it was also cool to be doing the interview from Colombia, them being in England and doing business in the United States, just kind of like a funny thing, but just such a cool background. They're a military couple living in Cambridge, started with multifamily at the beginning of COVID. They'd never really done any multifamily, any real estate investing before that. That's just when their journey started. And now they've scaled to 188 units in their first 18 months. Um, As I mentioned, extreme long distance investing. They're not going to the US to look at these deals and to build relationships. They're doing it from England. And they just have such a cool impact and, and like not impact. They have such a cool thought on how they impact their properties, their areas, you know, they, they talk about a concept on the show, return on impact. You know, we've heard of return on investment and all these other, you know, metrics to make money, but they talk about actually improving the communities they live in. They're not just trying to make the most money. They also talk about how one of their visions is to create schools and help people get more educated just in general and kind of entrepreneurialism and design better lifestyle. So it's just really cool and refreshing. They just have a fun attitude and a can-do attitude that they took advantage of, you know, a situation that most people would have looked at, like, why me? Or how do I kind of deal with this being COVID? So that was my main learning from the show is that they took massive action and used amazing time management during COVID to stretch their or compress their 10 or five-year goals into one to two years. Like I said, they'd never done any real estate investing before COVID, but they saw it as a way to jump on a lot of webinars, a way to find mentors, a way to start doing conferences virtually and get educated and just show up and be consistent. And I could resonate with tons of what they were saying just because I had a very similar view at the beginning of COVID, looking at it like this is the opportunity to compress life goals into maybe one or two years. And that's what they did. Again, 188 units in 18 months. This is not your typical stuff. Okay, so today's tangible tip, power networking from investor meetups. This is one they mentioned on the show. I'd never heard of this before, but I just thought it was so smart because they raised over a million dollars in their first deal without people knowing who they were. They didn't have a real estate brand, but what they were doing was every single webinar they would jump on, every single meetup, they would screenshot the entire page of all the names on the webinar. And then that week they would start reaching out to those people to just just try to set up calls. And Susie mentioned that, at their kind of peak of investor relationships, they were doing 20 to 25 new investor calls a week, just building relationships and getting to know people. And then when they found their first deal, 
they were able to raise seven figures. So that's not normal. That is insane. And it's so cool. But if you take action and replicate something like that, that's the blueprint. So we go over a lot of capital raising tactics as well. And you'll be able to get that from the show. So without any further ado, guys, seriously, awesome episode with Susie and Michael. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So buckle up and talk to you guys soon. What's going on, Susie and Michael? Welcome to the show. Excited to have you guys. How are you? We're doing great, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Really excited to be able able to provide value to your listeners today. Yeah, it's going to be a great, great day. For sure. And we were talking about it before we hit record. I think this is the first episode, one, that we've interviewed someone well in England, and two, where both me and the interviewee have been out of the country. So, So if you could maybe, that could be a good place to start. Um, you know, like where you guys are and then, you know, we'll, we'll peel the layers back a little bit, um, into how you got into all this, but you're in England now and you're not originally from England. Is that right? (laughs) Correct. No. So Michael is getting his PhD at the university of Cambridge. So that is what brought us here. And I actually am now full-time real estate investing as of two days ago. So that's very exciting. (laughs) Oh, wow. What is I? Okay. Like I would, I would hold that, but I feel like that's too juicy not to, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. Are you like, does that mean you're, you were in a job and you're not like, what is, what do you mean by that? Yeah. 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 So I was in a W2 over here. I was a program manager for a biotech company and just like through, I guess, everything that we accomplished, which we will definitely get into, I get replaced my income and then and made it to the point where I could leave my W-2 at the age of 31. Wow. Okay. Um, I feel like this is a movie that opens with like a crazy ending is like the opening scene. And yeah. then like start back at the beginning. Um, right. so I just got really excited. I was like, okay, I have to, I ha- it's going to come out. <laughs> no, no, that, that's awesome. Like as you should be. And like, it's still so like fresh. So that's really cool. Um, all right. So why don't we, we'll put a pin in that. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. Um, yeah. you know, way back before, before that was even a twinkle, but how did you guys get into this game? You know, like how did, you know, real estate investing, entrepreneurship, you know, brand building, all that, like, like take us back. Oh, so entrepreneurship, I mean, in general, I guess like Michael has been really heavy in entrepreneurship. I've just been the kind of individual who always had two jobs, not really in like entrepreneurship, but I was like, okay, no, I can hustle. And when like COVID happened and the lockdowns happened over here, the first one was a little more than a hundred days and everyone was sent home from work and we could only leave the house once a day to work out go to the grocery store, like go to the pharmacy, you know, like very just like life items. And with that, Michael and I decided that we were going to have a mini book club, but just because we are not the individuals who like watch television, it's just not us. And so in our mini book club with each other, one of the books was multiple streams of income by Robert Allen and a couple of chapters. in, it talks about real estate investing. And Michael's like, skip all the first chapters, just go straight to this one. This is what we've got to do. And I was like, okay. And we read it. And then like, we were just hooked because we started reading more books and then listening to more podcasts. And we found like online forums and we realized that there was a whole world of real estate investing, right? Like it's not just these super rich people who own properties. It's everyone and anyone. And so because the whole world had gone virtual, 
that was like when we knew that we had that like open opportunity to be able to get into the space that everybody else was getting into because, you know, people from Washington, like state were joining meetups with people in Virginia and people from Texas were doing it. And, you know, I mean, even right now we're talking to you while you're in Columbia, it's totally awesome. And so like, once we knew that, like our, that's when like our ticker was on, right? Like, so some people have a death clock and like our clock was essentially like the, when stuff stopped going virtual. So like going forward, our thought was like, at the end of the day, if everything was taken away virtually, would we be satisfied with the job that we did? So that's like literally how we put on our jetpacks and essentially went from like zero to 196 units in 12 months. God, that is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow. I just the number alone, but the thing I, I, I don't think I've ever connected with like a statement as much on a podcast, I, I swear to God, as what you just said, when COVID hit for me, I felt like, here's my chance. Here's my chance to compress five and 10 year goals into maybe one year while the world is paused. So I can just mm-hmm. connect with that so much because some people saw it as the worst thing ever. And it's definitely a serious thing and affected a lot of people horribly, but some people took this attitude and this mentality of, I'm going to use it as an opportunity. Everyone has to deal with it anyway. So why not at least try to take advantage of it or make the best of it? So like, that is just so cool. So like, how, how did you actually like jump in? It sounds like you started with education, which, you know, is, is kind of the backbone for anything. And, and then I think a lot of people can do that, but then maybe they're not sure what actions to take or how to take action. But you guys did something that I think a lot of people, you know, it might take years or many years to do, but you did it in 18 months. So like, what were your first couple of actions in that? Yeah. So the first couple of things is, you know, when we first read that book and then we, we dove into even more books that dealt with real estate investing. And then we found bigger pockets and the forums and stuff like that. And then more and more podcasts about real estate investing. So that was kind of like our initial baseline education. And then we're like, holy crap, there are like a million different things you can do in real estate, you know, wholesaling, flipping, multifamily, single family, burying, everything. Right. Like, and it just keeps going on and on and on. Right. And so when we initially saw that, we we're like, there's so many different things. And, we, and then we attended conferences. And that's another thing too, is like because of COVID and everything going virtual, yes. all the conferences went virtual too. So like being in England, we, there was no way we were going to fly back to the States for a three-day conference, right? Mm. Or a two-day conference or a, one, a one-day conference, right? But all these conferences went online during COVID and we took advantage of that as well. So we, we started seeking out conferences. We're trying to find what um, real estate uh, flavor was our best, right? Because yeah. their real estate, uh, you know, wholesale flipping and stuff like that, like each one of those like niches have like different personalities. And we we're trying to figure out which, which one kind of fit our personality. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's, uh, it's just another point on like the reminder of the benefit, you know, like the, the way to get it to get to a conference, you didn't have to travel. And for a lot of them, the cost was way down because they were virtual. And now more people mm-hmm. get exposed. Like I, I'm thinking just back to the whole year in general, I attended more webinars, more meetups, more conferences than I ever had just because I felt like the access was there. And again, it's just like taking advantage of an opportunity. So it sounds like, okay, you started networking more, started seeing that there was opportunity, especially, you know, outside of the country. Um, actually one, one question on that, you know, like I only say this now because I've been posting a lot more on social media and it's a TikTok actually a lot more. And there's a lot of people, I guess, that follow me in England on TikTok. And they're always asking, you know, like, this doesn't, I can't do this in England, or I don't think I can do this in, in England. 
Um, did you ever consider investing in England or was it always doing it back in the US? Like, was there a reason for that if it was that way? So the, like the tax benefits, well, there are no tax benefits one, but like just for loans and such, it's so much different if you're not an actual citizen or, so, re- or resident. Yeah, yeah. yeah, resident. And so like, just from what we found, it was much more lucrative for us to do it back in the States and take like, I guess, have all those benefits instead of trying to figure it out over gotcha. here. And yeah. like, because the meetups and such that we were joining were all US based, like that was just immediately what we flocked to, you know, even now, if I, cause I've tried to look up real estate events here and there are, there are not like there's one in London, but all it is, is p- playing, um, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow, cash flow. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I got to, I want to, I want to do more yeah. than play the game. <laughs> yeah, I want to do the real thing, not, not play board games. Um, so, so what started happening? You know, like you're going to conferences, meeting people. It sounds like maybe, you know, thinking that it's possible. Um, and, and, you know, did you guys just jump in? Did you just buy a multifamily, you know, and on your own and, you know, not get any help or, you know, how did you, you know, just pick a location as like a dart on a map or, you know, how did it, how did it look? That's a great question, Jonathan. So, you know, as we continue to do more and more research and, and increase our education level for real estate investing, like we initially thought that let's, let's, let's go ahead and let's do some single family stuff. And that was our initial thought. And just cause like, it's our money, we can figure it out and we can learn as we go. Um, and so what we did was we actually took a, took some time and evaluated like, I don't know, a dozen markets and figured out which market would be the best location for us to have cash flowing single family properties. Um, and one of those, we ended up choosing Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, because this is a solid city with l- low appreciation, but high cash flow. And so we looked there and then we set up a whole team. We spent like a couple of months, like setting up a team, like property management company, getting, finding a realtor or a couple of realtors and also like uh, uh, several contractors and stuff like that, like interviewing all these people, getting recommendations and stuff like that, like taking our time with the whole thing, set it all up, had two doors under contract, right? And then during escrow, like when we were in es- under escrow, a inland hurricane went through and like took out like 60% of the trees in the city and people were out of power for like weeks and weeks. The city was destroyed and our properties that we had under contract could not get financing because they required a contractor bid. And so the, obviously the contractors were out repairing the city and least the last thing they wanted to do was like work on a rehab for somebody's rental property. Right. And so we're like, well, our plan was kind of shot out of water. Those properties fell out of escrow. Unfortunately, we didn't lose uh, any money off that luckily because we were able to back out of the contract at the time. Um, but we took a step back. We're like, well, the city's going to take probably a year to rebuild. And even to this day, like it's still, there's still a lot of places that, you know, are still rebuilding and stuff like that. So hmm. took a step back. We're like, man, this is a real bummer. Um, but we need to make a pivot, right? So pivot, don't panic. And so we took a step back, looked at our five-year goals and our five-year goal is to get into multifamily. And so like, let's just, let's just try this multifamily thing right now and see if we can just pivot straight into that. And so we started looking up, being very diligent, looking up um, networking events that had to do with multifamily. We found mm-hmm. some via LinkedIn. And of course, there are huge amount of people because it's COVID time and things like that. Everything's virtual. And so 
we started attending meetups and then we found more and more meetups. So just go to meetup.com. You can find so many different meetups that are still virtual to this day, which is awesome. And so that started, you know, pivoting our net, networking. Uh, and then, of course, after that, like our education then became multifamily education, syndications, mm-hmm. things like that. So, you know, a lot of people listening may have trouble finding a deal in their area. Um, that's a very common just, you know, complaint or excuse. I, I hear a lot, just I'm from New York originally, and it's just so common. I, I can't find a deal here. So I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to go back to working a job I don't like, and uh, I'll just do it for 40 years and then, you know, be old. Um, so you guys are investing out of country. So what was some of the criteria? You mentioned a couple of them that you were looking for in markets, you know, but if you were, you know, talking to someone that's kind of evaluating markets, they don't know what metrics to look at. They hear tons of things, crime, schools, population, you know, they don't know how to stack rank these things. And it, it just, it's an overwhelming kind of task. So you guys are doing it from another country, you know, kind of shattering any disbelief that someone can't get started if they don't live in the right area. So you mind just taking us through like what some of your criteria was for finding markets. And then, you know, even looking within those markets, maybe neighborhoods, just to know that you're on the right track and that the deals you were looking for would align with whatever criteria you had. Yeah. So one of the big things uh, we're looking at, obviously population growth, low crime, like you, like you mentioned, right. Um, but at cer- a certain point, like you'll find, you know, as long as they have the basis basics, right. Like uh, positive population growth, um, there is some home appreciation that's occurring. Um, and what we were looking for too, is like deals that were cash flowing um, that had a higher cash flow. So in a sense of multifamily, that means like typically means higher cap rates. Right. And then we also didn't want like a super saturated market. We're like, like, a, like a Dallas, Texas, right. We're like everybody's flocking there. Everybody's trying to find deals for a new, new multifamily investors or syndicators. It's like impossible to find deals unless you have the, an incredible network. Right. And so. Well, and I was going to say like for us too, like the big thing was our boots on the ground. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. We can't see our property. So where's our boots on the ground? Who is our boots on the ground? Like, how does that work? And through the conferences and just through networking, you know, we, somebody, yeah. So like one of the conferences we went to, the individual had said like, you need an identity change. Nobody, everybody knows like you for what you've been doing. So that's when we started posting on social media way more. And like an old classmate of Michael's reached out and was like, Hey, I am in real estate investing. Like let's chat. And that's how we had our boots on, like found our boots on the ground and then determined our market because mm-hmm. all of the criteria fit. But then I want to add something else. Cause I don't hear it very often. What also helped us be like, yes, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. Is that like a lot of people want to be in Dallas or Phoenix or like very hot markets, but like for us specifically, we have to have a property management company. So for us, that means like that sweet spot of like 80 to 120 doors, you know, cause like we want onsite property management there and we want it to make sense within the deal. But then you have to take another step back and think, well, if that's what I want, how much capital can I actually raise, right? Because for your first deal, you don't know. But if you can only raise 500,000, going into a Dallas market with like other new syndicators, like you don't want 10 to 12 people on your team so that you can make that capital raise work. You know, it's like, there's a lot to think about just besides like the metrics, it's like, well, how am I actually going to get there? And then 
can I actually close? And I know that's like a little further into it, but like, because you have to have a balance in real estate, it's all whirling together all of the time. You have to just think about the 4,000 things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think bigger <laughs> so, picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to recap, like, we just, cause <laughs> yeah. I feel like we just like vomited a bunch of information about like a market, but like to recap, like obviously pop, positive population growth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then appreciation of home prices, things like that. Um, and then, and then you can kind of take a step, oh, and then low crime. Right. So then you can take a step back. Like, wait, where do I know somebody at? Like, if it's not my market that I'm, that I'm in, that I can go to readily mm-hmm. within, you know, an hour or a day's drive or whatever, then do I know somebody there that wants to be our partner? Right. So stuff like that. And then also the saturation, like how many other people are putting offers in on deals, which is a majority of the United States right now, because how hot is the market? But but at the same time, like there are some pockets that aren't as saturated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when you start talking to investors, if you're syndicating, like they'll start telling you, I'm looking for appreciation deals or I'm looking for cash flow deals. Like that's going to drive the market you choose too. Yeah. Right. Like Texas markets are mostly appreciation based, right? Low cash flow, high appreciation. While in, in the markets that we're interested in, Oklahoma, like you get you get pretty solid cash flow and you get some decent appreciation as well. Gotcha. Okay. Makes total sense. I feel like a lot of what you just said, people can take and replicate and kind of just start their criteria. But the other thing that I think is so important that you guys mentioned is there's a lot of places in the country that the numbers will work. Um, Certain states that are a little more landlord friendly or have growing population. But as important as that is, to your point, having people that you trust on the ground, if it's people you went to college with, someone from your family, someone you grew up with, that could just be a friendly name in that area that can help with something or be involved at some level mm-hmm. and can help with the management that can make just as much of a difference. Like that could be, you know, equal to the actual location in general. Like people could buy a property, you know, in the worst landlord area, you know, it could be in New York city, but it could do better than a property that's in, you know, the best cash flow market if their management and their team isn't good or it's someone that right. they, you know, can or can't trust. So I'm really glad you said that because that matters so much. And I think people get so fixated on, just the numbers instead of mm-hmm. also spending time on the relationships, which it sounds like you guys, you know, did a big part of, and also, you know, like just looking at your branding and creating so much content, like using social media also to connect with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's really cool. So um, I would love to just jump into the first deal. You know, if we can kind of go through like the nuts and bolts of it, like the team, the type of deal, the financing, um, how it went, all that stuff. Yeah. So um after we identified a boots in the ground, like we just talked about, um, the next thing, well, we already had a property management company as well that we were working with, right? And that's a huge thing for us. As Susie had mentioned, um, we, will, we will never submit an LOI on a deal um, if our property management company, we don't have a discussion with them first, right? Because a lot of people you'll see out there, they find a deal and then they're scrambling to find a property management company. That's the absolute wrong way to do it, in my opinion. Um, some people have other opinions out there, but um, if you don't have a good property management company, then you don't have a deal, right? Like, cause you're, that is the whole cash making part of your deal or money making part of your deal, right? Is mm-hmm. managing the property and seeing out the business plan. Anyways, so had a boots on the ground, had a property management company identified, and then we started reaching out to brokers in the specific markets. So like Tulsa and Oklahoma City were the two markets we were focused on. Our boots on the ground was in Oklahoma City, so he could quickly drive over to Tulsa or whatever. And then we just started underwriting deals and I started developing relationships. Luckily, because of COVID and the everything on virtual, I was able to connect with a lot of brokers virtually. 
Um, well, typically you have to take them out to, you know, wine and dine them, if you will, uh, in order to get some listings and stuff. Um, and to be, to be fair, like when you're new, like you don't get the best ones or you get leftovers, right. Um, that everybody else has kind of picked over and they're like, oh, I don't really see the potential in here. Right. So you have to be very creative. Right? Like how, how can you force appreciation? How can you make money on this property? Like you have to look for the diamond in the rough, if you will. And so, um, we just started underwriting properties, underwriting properties. And there was like this one property that we looked at and our boots on the ground walk the property is like, actually this one's in really good shape. Um, I like it better than any of the ones that we've been walking. Um, but it just wasn't there financially when we first initially looked at it. And that was like in August of uh, last year, 2020. And then what we ended up doing was I kind of put it on our, we have a big whiteboard that we used to have in the back uh, behind us but I used to write down all the deals that we're looking at or had looked at. And so I can look at them every day and be like, okay, what's going on with this deal? Did it sell? What happened to it? Um, if, it if it made sense financially or it was close to making sense financially, where is it at now and its financials? And so the broker continued to send me monthly financials. And over a period of time, over a couple, th couple three months, we saw it being stabilized. Um, stabilized to your audience is like 90% occupied for at least 90 days. Uh, in the eyes of agency debt. So like Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, um, those kind of lenders. And so they'll lend you, they'll lend on properties like that that are stabilized. And so we wanted long-term financing that Freddie Mac and, and Fannie Mae offer. Uh, we needed a, a stabilized property. And then this property was trending towards stabilization. It was at two months of stabilization. And of course, everybody else who was looking at the property noticed that, noticed that it was trending towards stabilization and one more month to actually make it to stabilization and a bunch of LOIs flew in. Um, what we also didn't mention earlier, Jonathan, was that during this whole process of networking, meeting all these people and then telling everybody what markets we were interested in, once we identified the markets, we just told the whole world. So, you know, social media blasted out on every single networking opportunity that we had. And then through that, people were like, oh, you're in Oklahoma City in Tulsa. I know this other person in Oklahoma City in Tulsa. And so we started meeting all these operators that were in the, our area mm -hmm. because we're telling everybody what we were looking for and what markets we were interested in. And so one of those connections ended up being uh, this gentleman that I met with and we hit it off really well, um, joking around, things like that. Um, and we continued to develop a relationship over the next several weeks. And because of COVID and everything kind of slowing down for business, for everybody, like I was like, hey man, do you have any time like to sit down and just look over my underwriting? And I am fast forwarding through a lot here. I did, I did add value to him as well. And we can get into that as well, Jonathan, but fast forward, he decided, Hey, I can carve out an hour each Saturday and we could sit down and chat, which at that hour became three to four hours. And he would look over my underwriting because he was an active syndicator in Tulsa and had like so many properties and things like that. I was like, this is where I want to be in five years. And so I'm just somebody I looked up to and he looked over my underwriting and then also was able to open up his Rolodex to all the vendors. So now going back to our, this property that stabilized, um, he was now effectively part of our team, right? And so we were able to use him on our resume um, or our LOI that we submitted to the broker. And he had actually done a couple of transactions with the broker before. So the broker knew that we had somebody on our team that can close a deal. So he communicated that to the seller mm -hmm. and we were able to take down that deal after that, so. Okay. I, I do want to, I do want to dig more into like the details of the deal, but I'm glad you mentioned just the call out with the person that helped you. And then the, the specific part about, you know, added, adding value. 
Um, again, just from personal experience, underwriting deals, which is just for those listening, that's just the word for analyzing multifamily deals. Um, that was the hardest part for me. I, I really struggled with that. And I didn't see a lot of content out there to actually help people analyze value add multifamily deals. And kind of just like you, I developed a relationship with someone who sat with me week after week for months at the beginning of COVID. Um, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and I was looking at deals in you know, a similar way. And he basically held my hand. And then, you know, kind of in that way, I was going to bring him in on a deal if we ended up doing it. Um, but let's like just digging into that for one sec. If that's an area that someone's struggling with right now, you know, is the way that you brought value to that person and then built that relationship, would you say repeatable? Or if someone is struggling with analyzing deals right now, because it is very complicated on multifamily, you know, like what advice would you have for that person or, you know, advice that they can maybe take from the way that you did it? So the biggest thing, man, I'm trying to think back. So, so there's a book out there called like the definitive guide to underwriting. Uh, it was written by Robert Beardsley. So that's a good start. And so what you can do is re I read that book initially, and then he also gives you like a free under underwriting template with that. So I learned how to underwrite on that. Right. And then I went on LoopNet and Crexy, which are two sites um, that, you know, basically deals that nobody else wants go to die. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, so it's a great place to find deals to practice with because sometimes you can find the T12, which is the trailing 12 months of income on a property. And you can also find the rent roll, which has like the, the, the cost for each unit and things like that, which you need. You need at least those two things to start underwriting a deal. And so those are, those are great areas to start practicing, finding deals and just underwriting them and practicing. Um, and what I also suggest is there are, I don't know, dozens and dozens of underwriting tools, spreadsheets and things like that out there as well. I would suggest, you know, not just learning on one, but learning on a bunch. Like, I, I think I learned on like at least half a dozen yeah. before, wow. before I was like, okay, I like this feature in this, this feature in that one, this feature in this one. And then I kind of now have my own, which I've kind of modified and it's still, we're still like adding on to mm -hmm. it and adding more things and stuff like that as we do more complicated deals and stuff like that. And now I've had like this Frankenstein underwriting yeah. tool, which I really enjoy. And so, but that, so practicing and practicing, practicing, having somebody look over is, is huge, but having somebody that's in your specific market and who's invested in your specific market or submarket to mm -hmm. take a look is the key because you can underwrite deals and they can make sense. But unless you know the numbers, the expense numbers for the specific submarket you're looking to invest in, like your underwriting means nothing really. So that's mm -hmm. what I would suggest. Find somebody that's in your submarket or market and they can help you really identify the expenses. Potentially your property management company can help you with that as well. Yeah. But a lot of times property management companies will, if you don't have the right property management company, they'll just say, oh yeah, we can, we can make that expense work. We can make that expense work. Like, no, I don't want, I want you to tell me how much it's going to cost. I don't want you to make it work for me, you know? So. Right. And just, I guess on that, just again, put myself in the shoes of someone that may be stuck, not having a resource in an area and they're, they're thinking, all right, well, you know, good for them. They knew someone locally, someone just wanted to give them a handout and help. And, you know, they got all this free advice. I don't have that person. So I just can't get started. So how did you cultivate that relationship? Or, you know, why do you think that person wanted to help you guys? So, well, cultivating it, I think is just being consistent, right? So we showed up to networking events over and over and over. It's not like we said, oh, we're in Tulsa and everybody was like, Hey, I got a connection <laughs> for you. You know, like it was, 
being consistent because when somebody gives an introduction, like that's also a reflection of them. So if Mm -hmm. it turns out horribly, it's like, Oh, why did you, why'd you do that intro? You know? So just showing up in that space because you are really like one conversation away from meeting the person who will help you get to that million dollar mark. Like Mm -hmm. you really, really are. And so I think that was a huge thing, but then like his name was Carl, but just besides like trying to add value, we said what we were going to do. So like after our first meeting, Carl was like, okay, for the next meeting, let's have this done. And by the next meeting it was done. Or if we left a meeting saying, okay, this is what we'll have ready for the next one. It was actually done instead of going into the meeting and saying like, oh, I didn't have time. It's like, okay, well then I don't have time, Mm. you know, like just showing that you truly, truly, truly want to do it. I mean, so many people, it's just doing what you said you were going to do. And so many people aren't doing that already. Yeah. So it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was just going to add to that, like there are paid mentorships out there and stuff like that. And and they can help you with underwriting and stuff like that for sure. If you want to accelerate that, if you want to go the organic route, like we did, um, well, first of all, we didn't know that there were like paid mentorships out there. We like hit it the ground running and like just blew, blew through networking and things like that. And, <laughs> yeah. and then at the, afterwards, we're like, oh, there's these paid mentorships that can help you do the same thing. Like, cool. Those are great resources for a lot of people. Uh, but for us, we just went the organic route because we didn't know any better at the time. Right. And so for listeners out there who want to go the organic route, um, I would suggest just go to meetup.com, search for um, multifamily meetups if you're interested in multifamily investing in whatever area, because there's a lot of uh, conferences and or a lot of networking events that started online during COVID and they're going to remain online. Some of them mm. that were in person went online and now some of them have like a hybrid, like online and in person, right? So mm. there's still a lot of events out there and just go to as many as you can and keep telling everybody what you're looking for. Hey, I need help with underwriting or something like that. You're going to find people that I mean, real estate, the whole real estate community is, is very giving and, and like, it's, it, it's very barrel, the monkeys esque. So what I mean by that is like, if you ever played the game, barrel, the Mon- barrel monkeys, the monkeys, you, as you put them together, you reach up and you know, you hang one up, but also you hang the next one up from the bottom or somebody reaching down. Right. So they're all connected. Right. So as one is reaching down, the other one's reaching up and vice versa. And so mm-hmm. it's very giving. So as you're taking, you're also giving back. Um, that's what I love about the real estate community. So if you just go to these networking events, you start putting out there what you're looking for, what you need help with, you're going to find somebody that's going to be able to help you with that. So true. I, it's just so cool. But like, if anyone wants the the quote unquote silver bullet or like the the trick, the secret, like what you guys just kind of like explained again, just be persistent and say do what you say you're going to do. Like that's the trick. But for whatever reason, people just don't, do that. You know, like if they say they're going to get something back to someone by this, just do that and do that consistently and show up and be a name that they recognize. And people want to pour into people that they think are serious. They don't want to put time and energy into someone. They think they're just going to disappear and they're never going to hear from them again. It's just not fun. So it's just such a cool reminder. And and you guys really take advantage of that in the best way. So, you know, you, you find this, this person helps you with the underwriting, Carl, and now he's part of your team and he's going to, you know, also be part of kind of your credibility package. So, you know, like what, what is the deal? How did it, how, who found it? Um, you know, how did the financing go? What was, what was the plan with it? You know, just maybe take us through, you know, talking to someone, you know, our listener that's never done a multifamily deal before. 
Yeah, so um, it was 88 units um, and we found it through the broker. Um, we were submitting LOIs with the same broker uh, on some other deals. And then this one kind of came up. As I kind of mentioned, it, it didn't pencil out initially, but then after a couple of months of following the financials, um, it did end up penciling out uh, because it was stabilized. So 90 days uh, occupy or 90 days with 90% 90 occupancy. occupancy, thank you. Uh, tricky sometimes. Uh, but because of that, we were able to get uh, Freddie, a Freddie Mac small balance loan. Um, I think if we want to get into numbers, I think it was 4.375 million is what we paid for it, yeah. uh, which came, come, comes out to be a little bit shy of $50,000 per door, uh, which is really great in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it mm-hmm. has, there's a large portion of it is one bedrooms uh, and then some two bedrooms as well. The two bedrooms had washer and dryer connections in them. However, they didn't have washer and dryers in them. And a lot of people who live in apartment communities don't actually own their own washer and dryer, right? So a lot of these connections were just sitting empty. Um, and so what we did the add value to is we actually installed uh, washer and dryers there. And then in the one bedrooms as well, we're installing stackable washer and dryers, um, which is huge, right? Because during COVID, not only does it give back to the resident, and allow them, you know, four or five, six hours of the day back, but it also allows them to, you know, maybe stay home, you know, because of COVID and things like that, and not be in this huge community where people are like doing the laundry, right? Mm. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to that. And of course, uh, rent premiums that come from that is, is, is substantial as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of, that's the main just for a business plan. There's also a lot of other things we were going to do to it too. We can get into that if you want. Um, but yeah, the with the amount we raised for that deal was 1.75 million. And I think it took us like 90 days to close. And we closed on that February 23rd of 2021. So this year. Yeah. And like for the team, just to add that. So like, let's just say Michael and I were one. So there was like two other like partners who brought capital and then we had a KP and we asked our mentor to join just because like he didn't ask for payment or anything. And so we're like, no, this is how we'd like to like repay you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He never that's, asked for a dime ever. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I gave him some of the acquisition fee and I also gave him some of uh, some equity, a substantial amount of equity. Cause I was like, you helping us. And then he also brings experience yep. to the team for asset management, but also brings experience um, for the, the, loan. the loan, right? Because you have to have experience for these agency debt loans. A couple of questions about the money. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people are maybe wondering or thinking. So first off, what's a KP? When I first found out what a KP was, it kind of blew my mind, but um, you just mentioned that was part of this deal. Yeah. So that's the key principle. And so this individual like has a net worth that can cover the loan. Yeah. And then the, lo- the amount of the loan mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. liquidity that makes up about 10% of the, the loan. Gotcha. Okay. So that if anything were to go wrong with the deal, depending if it's recourse or non-recourse. So what that means is like whether or not the bank can come after you or not, you know, that person is pretty much on there as that safety net to be responsible if the uh, project fails and you have to somehow pay the bank back. Gotcha. Okay. That's so, and, and just again, like for people that might conceptualize, why would a KP ever want to be involved with a deal, like signing on a loan, why, what, what value does a KP get? You know, because for an investor who doesn't have a lot of experience, I was thinking like, oh my God, this is, this is like a godsend to find someone that's going to help me get the financing for the deal, but it's not charity. So what, what is their, you know, gain in it and why do they like doing it? Absolutely. They just sign on a loan most of the time and then they get equity in the deal, right? So it bumps, they get a bump in their net worth. 
um, gotcha. equity in the deal, and then they get paid out cash flows, uh, and then they get a, a piece of the deal as it when it set, when it sells. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So the other thing you mentioned that a lot of people might be struggling with or just think is is way too tall a task is raising money, let alone a lot of money on a first deal. Like you typically hear people building up like, oh, I got like 50,000, you know, my first deal and I got track record and then I went to the next one. And well, you guys started out of the gate seven figures. So how did that work? How did you think about that? What was your mentality going into it? And then like, how did you actually do it? Yeah. So our... <laughs> our mentality was the whole, like, if, if virtual got taken away today, would we be satisfied with what we did or tomorrow? Would we be satisfied with what we did today? And so with that, somebody in a zoom call one time was just like, Oh, what's, you know, what's your investor list? Like, and we had like, kind of been like, Oh no, it's going. Okay. He's like, no, you needed to start raising capital yesterday. Like you need to put that engine back on substantially. So for a while we did, 20 to 25 investor calls a week so that we could build a list. So when we went to conferences and meetups, because our list was not friends and family, it was all going to be brand new people that we had to meet. We would like screenshot the screen and then like reach out to the individuals and be like, Hey, we're at the same conference or we're in the same meetup. Like, what are your real estate investing goals? How did you start investing with real estate? And just starting every single conversation from scratch. So that though and the consistency, because these people are brand new. They're like, wait a second. Like, sure, I can talk. I've seen you in meetups a couple of times, but why should I trust you? And that's where like showing up over and over and over and creating content makes that huge difference. Because if they talk to you one time and never hear from you again, why would they ever want to invest money with you? So that's mm -hmm. really what it was. So like to break that down, right? So showing up at meetup groups and conferences, snipping the screen and reaching out creating content and then being consistent with showing up in those conferences and those meetup groups so that they can have like those additional touch points. If anyone is struggling with raising money or they think it's a scary activity, just play the last 45 seconds on repeat the rest of the day. Cause like that's from a standstill. You guys weren't known as real estate people. Like mm -hmm. you made a plan and a system and took crazy action to raise money. But like, there are people that have been investing in real estate for like five or 10 years that don't think they could raise that much money, but you did it on your first day. Like it's just, it got, that that's such a, a great tip right there. Like screenshotting the zoom of all the names and networking with those people. Like some people may think they're doing a lot if they reach out to one or two people after one of those, but to reach out to the full box, that's just <laughs> another level. I love that. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people won't respond and that's totally okay. But like, I rather reach out to 50 people and get five responses than reach out to two people and get no responses. So oh, that's so good. Um, okay. So just <laughs> if, how, how'd the deal go? You know, like you, you guys, you raise the money, you have some help, you know, you, you have the financing you have the deal, like how did it go? You closed and, and what happens? Is it, is it a big party and everything's perfect or, or <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, asset management is, is has its own challenges, you know, yeah. like we, everything went great, closed, closed the deal up and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, asset management is a day-to-day -day challenge, um, but it, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, just like little things, right? Like, oh, you just got new pool furniture and stuff. And I know this is not a big deal, but it's the 4th of July weekend. So everybody wants to throw it in the pool and ruin it. It's like, no, this was not in my business plan. Why can't you guys just not touch the pool furniture? But yeah. you know, it's like, you have to think about, the weirdest thing because you create a business plan 
and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to talk about in our weekly calls. No, it's not what you talk about in your weekly calls. (laughs) You talk about stuff like that or like, oh, the fence blew down. Well, (laughs) we need the fence back up because it's like a secured property, you know, just stuff like you talk about everything, you know, and then you have to think about renewals. It's like, oh no, we have a lot of renewals coming up all in the same month. That's not something that I had thought about until renewals. We had to start talking about renewals. You know, it's, I mean, as just like, just for the listeners, like asset management changes every single day, but like what really helps us is that we use a, like a project management software called Asana. So at least everything is in one spot, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you're not going back and forth on the emails, like vendor bids can all go under one line item. You know, you can see what units need to be turned and what needs to be turned and the bids can go in particular or in that each line item. You can talk about community events. You can talk about anything, but mm-hmm. having it all in one spot just makes everything much more streamlined. That's really cool. Especially I think for a lot of people, they're just not sure. There's so many tools out there and they're trying to manage and find documents and email and all that. It's mm-hmm. just, it's really tough. Can you just yeah. define though, real quick for those that, that don't know, when you say asset management, you know, they may be thinking property management. So what exactly is asset management as you guys see it? Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Um, so asset management, like you hear a lot of people say, oh, it's like you managing the property management company. Well, wrong. I don't say manage <laughs> because you don't manage them, right? Because if you're managing them, then why do you have a property management company, right? Scratch that out. It's called leading your property management company, right? So it's a challenge in your leadership ability, right? Like this is like... Asset management is a operations officer type, like COO type of role, right? Like you are leading your property management company to make sure that they're executing the business plan that you laid out, right? That the, the, the CEO laid out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why so. we say the, pro- the property management company is so important because you want one that like you align with and you can have a conversation with, you know, like for Michael and I, our huge thing is like return on impact. So how can we make the best environment for the residents? But you have property management companies out there who are like, no, we can raise rents. We can add these fees. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what we're looking for. You know, like we can find much more like creative ways to add like income to the property, but not have it affect the residents. Can we, can we come up with those kind of ideas? So it's, Mm. that's why it's so, they are just like a huge part of your team because then you can lead instead of manage, right? Because if we had somebody who just wanted to raise rents, we'd have to go in there all the time and say like, no, can we try this? No, no, no. And I mean, no, it's just such a negative word anyways, try to avoid that in general, but like you want to be having like conversations about ideas, not conversations about people. And that's what you get into when you're managing. That's okay. There's just so much I could say on that. I'm going to hold off, but that's just really cool. It's really refreshing because you hear a lot of people just, you know, trying to pump it for as much as it can, but it's a different mentality. Um, just, just cause we are getting towards the end here. I want to just, you know, make sure we mention a couple things. Um, you guys have built a really nice brand on, on social media and have, I think also made it more of like a lifestyle business, especially being out of the country and, and kind of doing something that I think a lot of people want to do. Um, what has that done for your business? You know, like, how did you think about growing a social media brand? Um, were you guys always like outgoing on social media or was that kind of like, you know, a challenge at the beginning? And then, you know, what has it actually done for the business? If it's been, you know, investors or 
media opportunities or deals, stuff like that? Yeah. So for us in particular, like our whole brand, you know, is adventurous real estate investors and that in itself is like who we are. Right. So like we love going on adventures. And so that in general helped people understand us, you know, and that really helped social media wise. When we look back now on the first time we did like live videos, it is really horrific. I, I want to delete them, but then I have to tell myself, I have to reflect on this every year to see how far I've come. So with that, like progress is better than perfection. So you just have to do it over and over and over. Like your first live video, your first blog post, your first podcast appearance, you know, even your first reel or your first TikTok, it's going to be horrific. But if you do 10 more, you're going to get more confident in it. And then it just, those get towards the bottom and people hopefully don't look at them. <laughs> but social media has helped just because so many people are on it and that's like how they see who you are. Yes. You will mm -hmm. get the few people who aren't and they'll go to your website, but that's where then the content creation comes into play. Cause it's all repurposing, right? So like, for example, we have, well, a podcast and a YouTube channel. So like all of our podcasts can go onto our YouTube channel, which can also go into a blog post, which then I can pull out quotes to put on Instagram. Like how many ways can I use one piece of content? Like if you're writing a blog post, you can probably make a video about it and you can definitely pull tips about it to post elsewhere. So just use it as much as you can. And then not to just add so much, but the final thing is like, just write about what you know, don't make it super difficult or like hard for yourself because like don't reinvent the wheel, I guess we all are writing the same things, but we all have different audiences. And that's why it's important to just keep like writing or making videos or whatever your preferred medium is just because the one person who needs to see it will. And that's all that matters is like that. Cause that's how you're, that's how you slowly just start to get bigger. One person sees it. And then the second one will see it. And that's just how it works. Again, just so much good stuff in that. And I love what you said about the first videos. Like it's so cringeworthy and funny to look back yeah. at those. And it's just like, uh, like, but if you want to get good at something, you got to get the first 20 or 30 out of the way. Otherwise, yeah. you know, like don't even bother. So uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, before we get you guys out of here with contact and social media and all that, what's next? I know, I know Susie, you just mentioned you're full time now, which is so exciting. Um, but mm -hmm. what do you guys see for the next, you know, couple months, years, um, all that stuff. Gosh, I mean, for the next couple months we are. So like, there's only so much I can say. So like, we want to take down one or two more deals because like from what we've learned, momentum is truly what helps. So if numbers work, they work. So I want to just make that very clear too. So like, yes, that's what we strive for, but it can be a variety of different ways, right? Like if we want to do a JV with something smaller, we can do that. If we want to bring capital and just do a different part of the journey for syndications, we can do that. But I mean, in the next few years, it's really like, I guess my personal goal is to be able to like triple Michael's income by the end of next year. So that when it comes for him to retire, like we're just, it's completely covered because that's what it is, right? Like, I don't want him to have to work one day after he can retire from the military. So that is so cool. Just yeah. anything else would be uh just, just extra. So 
That's awesome. Yeah. Because like our long-term, right. Is that, so just a little bit, sorry, Michael was a professor, will be a professor again. I've been a mentor and a coach. And so we want to figure out how we can continue educating others outside of a traditional classroom. So part of our lifestyle design is that like, we want to be able to live wherever for as long as we want to. And with that, like our like big dream would be able to build schools and communities that really need it the most. Cause that's how we can give back with like this education piece that mm-hmm. we like really strive for. Cause even basic education can solve so many issues. And yes, like I know a lot goes into it, but like, that's why we want to spend time in these communities so that we know that we're actually giving them the right tools that they need in order for the school to succeed. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I feel like we got to do a part two or do some more (laughs) stories. Seriously. Like it just, I, I, it resonates so much with me. And I think a lot of our listeners that, you know, have, they want to combine, you know, entrepreneurial like tendencies with real estate and, and, you know, like a lot of them love for our work week and they love the concept of lifestyle design and doing it the smart way, not the traditional way. Um, so it's, it's just so cool. So we'll link all your guys' social medias, but what is the best way for people to kind of get started learning about you guys, check out your content, get in touch, see what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with us is just by going to our website. It's adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And that's a landing page where you can read more about Returnal Impact. You can read, you can find our YouTube our YouTube channel, which has like, you know, getting started in multifamily stuff, some asset management tips, things like that in there as well. How to leave your W-2. How to leave your W-2. <laughs> financial <laughs> financial, financial freedom. Yeah, yeah, financial yeah. freedom information as well. Uh, and our podcast too. Our podcast is all about uh, Returnal Impact and then identifying or talking to real estate investors who are also living in impact and how they're leveraging real estate investing to do, do that. that. Um, also, you can connect with us on LinkedIn everything like that there. Make sure when you reach out to us on LinkedIn, mention that you heard us on Jonathan's podcast and we'll be sure to make sure we connect, connect actually connect. So everything's <laughs> on that landing page. Um, and that's adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And that gives you everything you need. Awesome. This was so fun, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, best of luck in 2021. I'm excited to follow the journey. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's such a pleasure and yeah. it's a blast. Thank so, you so right. much. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 